0: Good morning. Good morning. We are going to get started. Uh, it's great to be with you. If you have Bibles with you, I always encourage this either on a phone, a tablet, or a Luddite printed version. Please open it to 1 Peter chapter 3. We are continuing today in our going back into our series in 1 Peter that we've been in. We started it, I believe, back, when did we start this? October? and Yeah, October, I think, and then uh, went into November and then broke for our Advent series at Christmas. Uh, So far, we've learned a lot, I believe, about Peter's heart for the people in Asia Minor in the churches in that day. That has been the purpose behind his writing. He had, as an apostle, as a pastor, an incredible heart for the people there because he knew from reports, and having been there, that they were suffering persecution. We've learned also in the first two chapters that they're suffering persecution, having to come to faith in Jesus in a community, in a place that is mostly, for the, for the most part, a, a pagan, Gentile, Greco-Roman culture. And many of them in the church have come out of that culture. So this is not Jewish people like in Jerusalem coming to faith mostly. It's mostly Greco-Romans who are coming to faith. And their suffering is not because, listen, it's not because they're, they're, they're being rebellious and going, hey, we're in Jesus, we're free, we've got all these things. And in other words, creating anarchy. Quite the opposite. Their, their suffering and persecution has been a result of the fact that they are obedient to the word of God. The, the culture that they lived in believed in a pantheon of gods, multiple gods. And, and it was cool. The Romans were happy with that. It's like, listen, we have a million gods. If you want to worship all these gods, great. You want to add Jesus to your tool belt, awesome. However, you start to preach and teach and say that Jesus is the only way, that he is the only God, that's a problem. That in itself was a problem, and it didn't sit well in the marketplace or in the home. So there are many other social codes that are expected to be followed in that culture, many other. Just like the social codes in our culture today, there are many that people are expected to follow. And if you don't, especially as a Christian, problems can arise for you, and they do. And so the Christians in that day appeared to be calling many of these social conduct, ethical order rules into question. Not by, again, rebelliously being, uh, you know, fighting against it and calling it out publicly, but just by living differently. Just by the way that they were living their lives. And it was obvious to people that they were not living the way of the culture. And that was the problem. I love it that uh, last Tuesday morning, Joey led us out in our study, and he went into 2 Peter chapter 3. And uh, the beginning, I just want to read the first verse for you. It'll be on screen. It tells us why Peter wrote this letter. The first verse says, This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. You see, when we go to the Scripture, when you go to your Bibles, when we look at the Scripture, the most important thing is two things first of all. is What was the intent of the author? Why did they write this letter? What did they want to be heard? Ultimately, what did the Holy Spirit want to be heard? And then secondly, how was it heard by those there? Now out of that, we can then extrapolate into, okay, what does it mean for today? But we have to be careful because you have to go there first. And so when you study scripture and you look around, you're going to find out the scripture actually will show you. The authors will show you why they wrote these things and what their intent was. And so I loved that when that came up, because that was kind of by accident. I wasn't going to go there, so thank you, Joey. Uh, So Peter tells us in this verse here what his motive was, and it was this. It was to stir up their, look, minds. He wants wants them to think. And to do what? To remember. Which is exactly what he's been doing in 1 Peter, in the first two chapters, is reminding them of the foundational truths of the orthodoxy of their faith who God is, what he has done, especially in Christ Jesus. And so in our study, we've learned that these foundational truths of our faith or are our orthodoxy. It's only when we know, listen, and we remember these truths that we are then prepared for that other fancy word, orthopraxy, which means the living out of our faith. So to go and, and, and do good without knowing why and really the how behind it is a problem that's the how then we should live so Peter began with a reminder uh, a little bit of a backup or recap for us of the foundational truths of our faith and then applied those truths in some very practical ways in chapter two and we saw that in the last few messages we were in first by pointing out how Christians should relate to governing authorities was that not fun (laughs) how we should submit to our government and why Secondly, how to behave, listen, if you are a slave, and there were literal slaves in that day, obviously, who has no current hope of freedom, how do you you behave? Rebel? Claim your freedom in Christ? Not according to Peter. Once you've placed your trust and faith in Christ, what what happened to many of those slaves, as we're going to see with the subject of our message today, or one of the subjects anyway, things actually got worse for those slaves. And so Peter's response to them is, listen, you need to do this for the sake of Christ. You need to live this way so that the gospel can be fairly represented and not maligned to your master. And so today, Peter takes us into the key home relationship. (laughs) So before I read, Uh, our text for us today, I feel like I need to provide a bit of a caveat. I really do. And it's intended to help us all hear the words of Peter and the Holy Spirit as they are intended to be heard, not just in that day, but today, how we should hear them today. And I believe that's important if we're going to have any hope of appropriately applying this text to our world and to our lives today. My experience in the church over the past 40 years, yes, I know, is that uh, texts like this are either taught in one of two ways or, listen, avoided at all costs, especially today. I, I just gonna, I'm just going to guarantee you, there, there, go, go out, search this text online for sermons preached in the last five years on this text. Not going to find many in a number of different churches. The two ways that have been taught seem to me anyway to have been, they've had a purpose of countering one another for some reason. One teaches the text with very little application of the cultural context, and the other says, okay, hold on, no, the cultural context is actually the key to understanding that many aspects of this text do not apply today. Those are counter proposals, right? So now at least I hope you are curious. <laughs> it's a fantastic text. So let me leave you with this before I read and pray for us one more time. First of all, in your own hearts or anyone who's watching online, and I'm not thinking of anybody, but just, just think about this. Watch first for the tendency that some of us may have to be triggered. It's actually a word that's being used a lot in the last 5, 10, 15 years about orthodoxy. And reading of scripture is people get triggered by certain words or phrases. And so watch for that and the implications of those words. And then let's pray that the Holy Spirit, not Glenn, not yourself, but the Holy Spirit will show us the beauty of what this text is actually trying to communicate to them and to us today. So I'm going to read the text and we'll pray one more time. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you. I thank you for so many things. Lord, I thank you for a new year. I thank you for just a, a, a new opportunity to uh, envision what you have for us in this years ahead as men and women, uh, as families, as husbands, wives, as a church. So thank you for another opportunity to, to dream forward, to think about how we can make you known in Squamish, how we can grow deeper in our own personal walk with you, Lord Jesus. So Holy Spirit, I, I just want to ask you today... Um, You know how I feel about this, and um, you know how much I'm relying on your ability to communicate this and and directly to our hearts in the way that you intend. So I pray for your help this morning. I pray you would give me boldness and courage, and all of us who are listening as well. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So my my first question for you after hearing this text... is uh, what is the primary subject, do you think? Now, I think some of you ladies in the room would be saying, well, hold on, six verses about wives, one about men, so I guess I know what this is about. Well, actually, the main subject is marriage. That's the primary subject of this text. And it is for, I want to suggest to you, a very, very important reason. This is the last of Peter's exhortations in his letter on how then we should live in this letter. I mean, he's going to build on some of these things later, but this is the last exhortation related to especially house codes that he's going to make. He started in the world, as we've already mentioned, of governing authorities, the civic life and realm, and then moved into the home via the servant relationship and the master relationship because it existed in that day in a dramatic way and in large numbers. And now to marriage. Why? Because marriage is the foundation of all life. And that's why Peter and Jesus, the Gospels and all of scriptures, establishes that fact. Friends, I think most of you know this, especially if you've read through your Bible in one year. Marriage is the heart of the story of God. It's the Bible. (laughs) The Bible starts in Genesis with God instituting marriage. This past Friday, Janice and I had the wonderful, blessed opportunity to... uh, I had the opportunity to officiate at a wedding on Squamish Nation's ancestral grounds, like literally down past Totem Hall, down on the water, with one other couple as witnesses and with James Andrew and his bride, Lindsay. It's a long story after being together 16 years, how it became official, but it's a beautiful story. And I got to share a little bit about marriage. God instituted it, is what I said in Genesis chapter 2. Not the government. They didn't institute marriage. They've taken control of it, but they didn't institute it. God instituted it when he brought Eve to Adam and gave him her to him. And Adam broke out in a song. (laughs) I wish I could sing like him. Oh, bone in my bones, flesh in my flesh. The whole of the Bible after that is about covenant and promise relationships. All of it is. And then Revelation, how does it end? Well, one day, those of us who are in Christ are going to be at a wedding. And it'll be the wedding of the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and is purified and Holy Bride, the church. It's the story of God. And so, bottom line is, you cannot get more foundationally, theologically orthodox than marriage. Now, for those of you who might be fighting the triggering response, I get it, I do. May I offer this perspective to you? Peter's teachings like Paul's and certainly teach Jesus' teachings on this subject and others, is actually, when you read it and you understand it, incredibly subversive. Yes, subversive to the culture, but it's a subversive period because it turns everything not upside down, but upside right. Is a phrase that I've learned recently that I really like. Peter knows that his letter, listen, listen, his letter is going to be read in churches, out loud. Like I'm doing this morning. Like we are called to do as the church, which is to proclaim the word of God and the truth in it. And, and he knew that it would be primarily composed of new believers who were previously Gentile pagans, all of whom knew the way of their world very well. They knew it. They had all been likely raised in homes, that taught and modeled the codes of conduct in their culture. It's amazing when you go back in history and you read Greco-Roman history about the codes of conduct and how parents, especially fathers, taught their children the codes of conduct. Why? So that society would be orderly. They would also speak to husbands, these codes of conduct, wives, servants, and every citizen on how they should contribute to the social good and order in their various relationships. So what's truly subversive about Peter's approach is the pagan world, in the pagan world, the codes of conduct were written for men and by men to the, what is called in Latin, the pater familias, which literally means the heads of the household. It was written by them and for them. Because, listen, in that culture anyway, wives, slaves, children as well, were not considered to be on the same level as men. Intellectually and morally, at least. And it was the men who were held responsible for the conduct of their wives and their children in society. And so they were given the responsibility to, if necessary, domineer. And you know they they did sinful men still do. So this was really subversive, what's happening here. It was supposed to be. So Peter's letter would have been a shocker to say the least. He opens this. He starts getting into this. People are listening to it. They've come out of this culture. They've been taught one way of doing things and all of a sudden they're hearing something different. Sometimes when they're hearing these things, they're going right on. That's awesome. Other times they're going, hold on. That's going to make our lives really difficult. And so Peter's perspective and that of the whole New Testament is that before God and in Christ, women and men, wives and husbands, children as well as servants are all, listen, fully equal in worth and value before God and man. That's what we're taught in this text and that's what all of the New Testament teaches. That was and is subversive. And by the way, when this letter was read in the churches, you can be assured that people come out and say, Peter wrote this letter and it said this, and the word would spread. What would come as a result of that? Persecution. Persecution. And that is just one reason, by the way, why Peter begins with wives. So let me put the first two verses up on screen for you and let's have a look at what I believe Peter meant to say and how it was received in that day. Verse 1 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and your pure conduct. So, again, going back to the whole text, verse 1 and 7 begin with the same word. Likewise, likewise, right? And so what what Peter's doing, and if you'll remember, he's he's actually going back into chapter 2, and he's essentially saying to them that this is the same encouragement that I want to give to you, that I gave to you, all of you, when it comes to your submission to governing authorities and also you slaves that are present here this morning hearing my reading of my letter and how you should submit to your masters. Likewise, wives, and later we'll get to it, husbands, Likewise is an important word here. And so again, he's wanting to say this. Here's how I encourage you to behave when you find yourself with an earthly master who's not a believer, and now that you are, you find yourself being treated worse than that before, and it's been because of your faith and your obedience. Wives, likewise. Let's start there. So the the subversion is throughout, isn't it? It really is. Peter's teaching is truly radical in in the sense that he suggests that a submissive Christian, listen, to governing authorities as well as submissive slaves to their masters, and now wives to their husbands are those who are introducing a brand new paradigm called the kingdom of God. So all Christians, slaves and wives, he begins with the wives, are being commissioned to live this out and introduce the kingdom of God in this way as they faithfully suffer for Christ's sake despite the oppression and the persecution so please see this you and i live here today you and i live today in the culture and the world we live in today not because this world is evolving and humanity is enlightened and becoming you know all the better read the stats you and i live in light of these things and, and have marriages today or the potential for marriages today and the freedom that we have today and there's no more slavery and all these things. Why? Because of the faithful submission of everyone in those days in the churches, the slaves, and the wives. That's why they contributed to the change of the culture, certainly of the kingdom of God. The city set on a hill. And so it's a beautiful picture for us to see. Incredibly subversive, wouldn't you admit? It's it's a sneaky approach, but it works. So obviously the second word uh, of our text today is the word wives, and so let's pause on that one for a moment. At this point, I'd like to ask you to do something. I've asked this in the past. I know it's kind of airy-fairy of me, but I'm going to ask you to do this. I'd ask ask you to teleport yourself with me. Back in time, 2,000 years, into one of the churches, whether it's in Ephesus, Laodicea, uh, Pergamum, wherever it might be in Asia Minor, into one of those little churches, right? On a Sunday morning, the, the letter has arrived. The announcement's gone out. You've got to come to church this Sunday. We got a new letter from Peter, right? We got a letter from him. You know, the guy who came here and planted the church, one of the apostles. So you know the letter is coming with authority and that, but you also know his heart. You've met the guy. You've heard about him you know, denied Jesus three times and got restored and preached a great sermon, and the church began. We're going to read his letter. And so we're there, right? Yeah, we're there. <laughs> there are men, women, children, slaves, wives, and husbands present. And as they begin to read the letter, imagine, they're all listening intently, and they're all hoping, hoping for some encouragement on how to live faithfully in these days. (laughs) What's changed? I don't know. Do we not need the same encouragement today? That's the power of God's word. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Not just Jesus, but his word. It's powerful and it's lovely. And it's intended to really, truly encourage us and so then after Peter's words related to the civic arena and slaves, the first persons he speaks to after that are wives. Some of the wives have dragged their unbelieving husbands out with them because that's the context here that we're reading about, by the way. And they're sitting there and hearing this. Other men who've come to faith in Jesus Christ are there as well. And they're going, hold, hold, hold on, okay, Peter, Peter. You're addressing the women, the wives, first. Look, it might seem like a small point to you, but it's not. It's intentional. And it's not because the wives need more correction. At all. At all. It's subversive. It truly is. And so he speaks to the marriage relationships and first to the women, to the wives. It was unheard of on that day. It's not the way it should have been done. The husband should have been the one instructing his wife. And now you're sitting in a meeting and Peter's doing that. Hold on. So the wives Peter is writing to are, for the most part, we know in this context, wives of unbelieving Gentile pagan men. At some point, they heard the gospel. At some point, they went to a church gathering or had a friend share the gospel with them. They came to faith in Jesus Christ. Their husbands heard the word too, but did not. That's a problem. (laughs) That's a problem for these women in that day. But they've come to faith, and their husbands have not. It's very awkward. A wife was, was fully expected in those days to worship her husband's gods, to follow his lead and worship whom he worshiped all of the little temples in their home and the candles and the lightings and the ceremonies that they would have, they were expected to follow their husbands in that way, in every way. And if she didn't, that would cause trouble not only in the home, but potentially in the civic arena. You know, it gets out that, you, hey, hold, hold on, uh, Charles. What's oh, that's a bad choice. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, okay, I'm gonna go with it. It just came out of my mouth. Charles, um, your wife is worshiping this Jesus who claims to be the only way and uh, hold on, what's going on here? I mean, you're a respected businessman in the community, and you're, what's going on? Are you not the head of your home, the patar familias? It could tarnish his reputation. So Peter begins by telling them to do what wives are taught to do elsewhere, actually, in Scripture. And it certainly was the case in their pagan setting, and that was to submit to their husbands. I, I want to suggest to you, from my understanding and reading of Scripture, the women hearing in that, that in that day were not going, hold on, I'm feeling triggered. They were not. It was expected. In Greco-Roman culture, but also in Judeo-Jewish culture. So that wouldn't have been, quite frankly, too shocking. It would have been not surprising or, quite frankly, unpalatable to their ears. But they would have a question for Peter, as most wives in this room would have. (laughs) Okay, Peter, that... That sounds fine, but could you help me with the how? You do understand the circumstances I'm in, so Peter, hel- help me. How? How do I do that? It's not easy. And so we all know this to be true then and still today. Some men, some men, not all, but some men become rather abusive when things don't go exactly the way they think they should go. Right? When when, when they cannot. Control circumstances, including their wives and their children. In fact, sadly, it can turn into something that's very abusive. And they can become domineering and controlling. Then and today. So, Peter, how? Help me here. I do love my husband. I want to be a good wife. But he he might lose it over this. So what do I do? So first he tells wives the why, which is interesting. In our verse, and part of it will be put back up on screen, he says this, the, the why is this, wives, why I'm, I'm suggesting you do this, is so that even if some do not obey the word, even if some don't obey the word, <laughs> they may be one. without a word, by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So so why? Well, for the sake of the gospel. Peter's assuming that you you love your husband. You still love your husband. And he's assuming you, you want for your husband what you have. Not just because you want him to to treat you better, to give you more things, but because you want him to be free in Christ. And yes, it's probably going to make, hopefully, the marriage that much better. And secondly, of course, for their salvation. For their salvation. They too may have eternal life in Christ Jesus like you know you're now going to have. So that's the purpose That they be one to Christ as you have been. And then he adds some of the hows. And and first he does it this way. By by the way that you look, love and respect your husband. To have and to hold from this day forward, to love and to, to cherish, right? The vows. Remember those? Hello? Anybody remember those vows? And look, not by, listen, not by your preaching at him, not by your harping at him, not by you constantly letting him know how he's like just not, he's missing the mark, failing, and and going to your girlfriends and saying, gosh, this guy. You know, I've been really patient. It's been like two, three years now. And he still won't follow Jesus. It's not by that at all. It's by something else. But it begins with your way of conduct and how you conduct yourself. Now, I want you to imagine again, Imagine men, wives too, husbands back in that day. Just imagine, and today. You've had a few challenges leading your wife, according to the Greco-Roman codes of ethics, right? You've you've had challenges. You know, you've had fights and arguments. You've almost lost your temper with her, right? And, and, And now, all of a sudden, she's following this Jesus guy, and... She's loving you and respecting you like she didn't before. What has happened? And and on top of that, she has a countenance. There's something about her. it's, It's almost like she's pure compared to the way she used to be before. And before she would laugh at your crude jokes. Before she would have a third and fourth drink with you. But now it's like, what's come over her? Well... She's displaying the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Conduct that every man knows is good, but that we can't live up to for some reason. That's the why and how, and there is more. But let me just, an aside to that, which I think is important. I wanted to add it and put it in my notes, but just to add is, look, this is true in marriage relationships where the wife is full-on loving Jesus and the husband is a Christian, apparently, but not walking the walk. Not in his scripture, not in the Bible, not leading the children and not leading you in the home, in the scripture and in life. I want to suggest to you today the same principles apply here. We'll get to the husband's flip on that in a minute, maybe a few. So there's more, though, for the wives on how your conduct will encourage your husband. Verse 3, he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. Full stop here, okay? Okay, I don't know about you, but I've heard sermons. Quite frankly, a few too many. Where the preacher will go off on speaking about the way women, especially teens in our culture today, dress. Oh, I don't want to mention one particular article of clothing. Okay, I will. Lululemons. Okay. But I mean, preachers will go off on this and they will basically say in their sermons that, listen, fathers, mothers too, your responsibility is to make sure that all of your daughters wear dresses that go all the way down to their ankles. And by the way, no makeup until they're at least, what, 37? Okay, 21. I've heard, I've heard that applied. I have. I really have. I mistakenly might have done that in the past myself. Not at the Rock, but way back in the past. Or at least thought that. Listen, it's a good subject to get into some point, but that's not what Peter's getting at here. Now, there isn't a side that some commentators will tell you about this that's potentially true, but there's a point that comes in the next verse, which is really his point. But it is this. He's maybe suggesting to some of the women in the church was in Asia Minor in that time. By the way, when you do leave your husband on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, to go to the gathering of the church, listen, don't, don't dress up to the nines. Don't put on the makeup and the gold and, and the most fancy clothing. Why? Because a woman going into the marketplace in that day, dressed like that without her husband, brings shame on the husband. Calls into question certain things. So maybe he was saying that. We don't know. That's a possibility. But the real question or the real answer to that is this. It's verse four. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is precious. That's the second time in Peter's letter that's been used. In God's sight, it's precious. Remember that earlier related to slaves? It's the idea is God is not looking down at us waiting for us to mess up so we can go whack. No, God is looking down at us and going, that's my daughter right there. She endured poor treatment from her husband, from other people, and yet she displayed that kind of heart, that kind of beauty. So Peter's main encouragement is to let the sanctifying work that the Holy Spirit is doing your heart be what's on display in your marriage and in your life. Let that be on display. I get it. <laughs> That's a challenge. Gentlemen, are you listening? Have you been listening to this? There's going to be a test. Gentlemen, married and otherwise, when we get to the end here in the conclusion. So, this again is why. Well, why? Because it's good for you in your walk, women and wives, your walk in faith, but also for the sake of your husband, that they may want to follow after what you're following after, which is Jesus Christ. That's true if you have an unbelieving husband. That's true if you have a husband who's believing, but not all the way there yet. That's true, husband, if you have a wife. Rules are reversed. Same thing. It's just true. He goes on then to say in verses 5 and 6 For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you, ladies, hearing this letter, are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, being submissive to a, a man can be frightening. He's just being really honest. So finally, wise, Peter gives the women of Asia Minor an example of a woman whom they might model their lives after. Women in the Greco-Roman culture were no different than women today. They had their Instagram stars. (laughs) They had their models that they would follow for fashion and for whatever it is in life. They had them. They had their idols. And what Peter is doing here, in part, is saying, I want to give you a different one. But it's interesting that he picks Sarah, isn't it? The wife of the original patriarch, Abraham? Oh, there's another word, triggered, triggered. I understand. But that's who she's the wife of. And I I also want to propose to you that he's, he's not only giving her as a model to them because, well, they need a different model, but because he is upholding the reality that the Old Testament and the New Testament do teach the submission of a wife to a godly spiritual leader in the home and family who is to be their husband. I've said this many times before. The the only reason why that might be true of me is because of my wife. And it was because at one point in our marriage, Janice decided, you know what? I'm going to treat him like the man, not that I know he can be, But that he's supposed to be and that I want him to be. That, frankly, friends, changed everything in my life. So, men, that should require us, I would hope, as you're hearing this, to be better husbands. Amen? (laughs) Yeah. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands. You've been listening? live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Hmm. So listen, I, I understand. I know I'm a man up here speaking. I am, trust me. And, and I know that. And, and I could be therefore guilty in some people's minds of missing a few things here. Okay, probably. It's probably true. But it seems to me... The attention that Peter places on wives is because of the main point that he's making here to the husbands in this single verse. And remember, the wives, the wives, I love this, the wives are listening to this, right? In the church, in the reading of this letter, and some of them are going, are you listening? And the others are going, preach it, Peter. What do you think? I do, (laughs) I honestly do. So so listen, up until this point, here's what Peter's been doing. Peter has been lifting the wives up. That's what he's been doing. He's been lifting up wives who are living in a challenging marriage to be witnesses, evangelists, for their husbands' sake, and quite frankly, for their children's sake, and for anyone else who's watching. It's incredible how this is expanding into the teaching of what they're getting at here. So he's been lifting them up to be these witnesses. And now, here in front of all the men and other women and children in the church gathering, Peter is lifting up wives to a level that has never, ever happened in culture until this day. It may be happening in other churches, but until this letter is read here, it's not happened before. He's lifting up wives, look at the text, to be co-heirs with their husbands, fully equal in Christ, in value and worth, no question. That is subversive. And their husbands are hearing this. Newly saved men are hearing this. And they're going, huh, this is a pretty good lesson for me. One would hope, right? So likewise applies here to us men and in every way. And I can just hear people saying, like I've been alluding to throughout this message, men, I hope you've been listening. Because all of this, from the governing authorities aspect to the slaves, to your wives... Is speaking to you too. It's exactly the same. And as I've also alluded to, the shoe can be on the other foot. Husbands have unbelieving wives. We have men in our church who have unbelieving wives. Go back and read the instructions to the wife. Men, okay? All of it. It's for you too. It's for me too. It's for us. It's exactly the same. Same principles apply. Finally husbands the key for us here is twofold. First, live with your wives in an understanding way. Oh my goodness, right? I won't get too deep into the Greeky stuff here with you, but the intonation here, the impression here is that this means you need to spend a lot of time getting to not just know her, but really deeply understand understand how she thinks. Okay, gentlemen, please, just let me ask you honestly, do you have any clue? <laughs> how long have you been trying? Okay, I mean, seriously. I've been at it 47 years with one woman. That's enough, okay? It's awesome, though, but and I learned a lesson many, many years ago. I, I've, I, I, I know now that when I ask Janice, what are you thinking? She hates that because she immediately thinks that I'm just trying to get a quick answer to a conversation so I can move on to go watch sports or something. It requires a lot of men. But ladies, I just want to encourage you also, help us. <laughs> help us to do that. Help us to understand. Help us to learn to think about how you feel. Really express that to us. And I asked this to Janice the other night when I was going over my notes with her. And I said, remember when I used to ask you, what are you thinking? And she goes, Yes. Thankfully, you don't do that anymore. And I said, well, you know, whatever. She goes, well, here, honey, listen, the bottom line is, I don't know how to tell you sometimes how I'm thinking or how I feel. I need time. To which I'm like, oh, gosh, here we go again. But it is awesome. It's, it's what deepens a relationship, a marriage relationship. It's spending the time. It makes it really rich. Secondly, the words here, weaker vessel are important because they are in most most cases, if not all cases, absolutely true. Vessel here refers to her physical body. Men are, in most cases, physically stronger than women. Paul, Peter, pardon me, is speaking into a culture where abuse of women was somewhat rampant. Again, I'm not gonna talk to you about statistics today, but friends, people need to hear the gospel. Christian men need to hear the gospel. He's speaking into that. And he's saying, men, you you have to control yourself. You have to control your anger. You don't have to control your wife. You have to control yourself. Abuse, physically, is to be intolerant. It's not tolerated. It isn't to be among us. And frankly, here's the thing. I'm... I haven't done a survey of women lately on this subject, but I'm going to propose to you, not bet, but propose to you, that most women would say, you know what? Yes, we want men more than to provide for us, to protect us. Not just us in our marriages, but women in the culture, in the world. Men to be leading that out. I think that's also what Peter is getting at. So it's a beautiful picture here that we're seeing. Husbands, our wives, and all women do want us to know they want us to protect them. To provide, yes, but mostly to protect. So in conclusion, let me review. If, if women, if wives heed Peter's teaching, we're going to see a wife who adorns herself with a quiet, gentle spirit full of purity and respect. She will become a godly woman inside and out, and she's committed to living this way for her husband and her family. Here we will have a man, a husband, who has decided to spend as much time as possible, if not more, truly understanding this mysterious, sometimes unknowable, but truly amazing woman that God has brought into his life more deeply and more than any other one of his loves in his life. I'm speaking sports, entertainment, whatever it might be. Every day he purposes to know her better by understanding her more deeply. He is also a man who knows how women are treated in this world. He knows that he as a man is responsible. He is also being called responsible to not only protect his wife, but again, as I'll state all women in our world culture. So together as wives and husbands, we know this. Our marriages aren't really about us, are they? They're about knowing the story of God, about knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, more deeply and having our marriages and our lives reflect him to this lost and dying world. The institution of marriage is precious. Let's proclaim that. Pray with me, would you?